time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. The American people, I think, is good people. They are. They have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. I've been listening to as I've been doing my research this week. Right. Is it? Uh, can I uh, just share? Israeli folk songs. I've been, I just imagine you with that music belly dancing. Is that wrong? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> wrong. All right. Very wrong. I apologize. Yeah. I love, love a bit of Israeli folk music. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so in our last episode, uh, we, we sort of did a quick introduction right. to the creation of the state of Israel. Quick, quick jump around the timeline. We talked a little bit about the roots of anti-Semitism. We talked a little bit about anti-Semitism in the early 20th century, Uh, Roosevelt and and Truman Mm -hmm. and how it was kind of just, it was common. Everyone was anti-Semitic pretty much. Yeah. Um, uh, But now we want to go back and talk about uh, the, the, the early days of, the Zionist movement, Zionism again, just basically meaning the the mass return mm-hmm. of Jews to Eretz Israel, the the land of Israel, right. which uh, was Palestine. It was Palestine. It was really just part of Syria in the uh, late nineteenth century. Uh, part of the Ottoman Empire had been part of the Ottoman Empire for centuries, mm-hmm. and so controlled controlled by Muslims. Uh, but there were some Jews living there, some Christians living there. Mostly Arab uh, Muslims, though. Yeah. Now, the idea of of Jews returning to Palestine had been there forever. I mean, it had been part of their their yes. culture, been inside the culture since they were kicked out right. by predominantly the Romans uh, in the second century, as I mentioned in the last episode, after the Bar Kokhba re- revolt in the 130s. Mm-hmm. But then it really, really, they started to take it seriously, uh, some of them, after the pogroms in Russia in 1881. Uh, on the on the 13th of March, 1881, a band of young Russian revolutionaries assassinated Tsar Alexander II. Okay. And the Jews got blamed for it. Yes. The, the rumours spread that the assassins were Jews. And they were... Partly right, because one of them was. Right. Did they get mad at all the other groups of whoever were represented represented by the killers? No. I'm assuming they just focused and blamed the Jews. Yeah, well, as I mentioned in uh, the last episode, you know, the Jews were always uh, easy people to blame. Right. Because uh, for a couple of reasons, we've talked about this, I think, on our Renaissance show too. Because a, no one had their back, so it didn't matter. It's not like they had a, a country that would go, "Hey, yeah. don't fucking touch the Jews, or I'll come in there." Right? No well, isn't one, that God's no job? One, well, it is <laughs> technically God's All job. Right. Yes, checking, just yes. checking. Yeah. Um, but secondly, uh, the Jews tended to have stuff. You know, they, oh, they, they tended, you know, some of them. Affluent. Yeah, affluent people. Right. Uh, because as we talked about in the last episode, they, they weren't allowed to work the land, so they'd become lawyers and accountants and and uh, notaries mm-hmm. and merchants and, uh, uh, and, and uh, craftspeople. Had done well uh, coming out of the late Middle Ages, early uh, uh, Enlightenment and the Renaissance and this kind of stuff. Made a lot of money had nice things, mm-hmm. if you could uh, kill them all, you could take their shit. Yeah. And motivation. it was great. Right. Great. Um, yeah, easy way to, you know, double your wealth is just to wipe out a bunch of Jews and take their shit. Yeah. Um, 
so yes, so the Jews got blamed for the assassination of Tsar Alexander the Second. Um, did you did you read up on how he was killed? Uh, no, please tell me. He was uh, in his carriage, right? As you do, <clears throat> riding around, a couple of sleighs. Um, magical reindeer, right. I think, uh, hadn't mm. hadn't got to the flying stage right. yet. They were still building up speed, trying to hit eighty eight miles per hour so they could fly. <laughs> yeah, I think you're crossing uh, the street. <laughs> anyway, anyway. <laughs> I think that's pretty much how Santa does it. Uh, a young member of the People's Will movement, oh, Narodnya Volya, was uh, the name of the movement. Guy called Nikolai Lysakov was carrying a small white package wrapped in a handkerchief uh, containing a bomb, threw it under the horse's hooves, thinking it would blow up under the carriage. It it did blow up, killed one of the Cossacks, wounded the driver and people on the sidewalk. But the carriage was bulletproof. Ah, Uh, Napoleon III, uh, good old puffy pants himself, (laughs) had... Given this uh, bulletproof carriage to Tsar Alexander as a gift, so uh, Alexander managed to survive the explosion, got out of the carriage unhurt. Rusikov was was arrested, captured almost immediately, but he heard, uh, but he shouted out to someone else in the crowd. Um, The the guards uh, and the Cossacks urged the emperor to. Leave. Right. Um, he was like, ah, oh, fuck it, I'm the emperor. It's, Nothing can hurt me. Look at that. Me. I survived. Yeah. God loves <clears throat> me. He loves me. Right. Um, and uh, somebody threw another bomb. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. At his feet. Apparently God God, God had his back <laughs> for once. <laughs> Let me just get this one explosion. Quick. Oh, what did I miss? Oh, dude. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I love this. This is uh, the police chief, uh, Dvorichki. Uh, wrote this in his uh, memoirs. I was deafened by the new explosion, burned, wounded, and thrown to the ground. Suddenly, amid the smoke and snowy fog, I heard his majesty's weak voice cry, Help! Gathering what strength I had, I jumped up and rushed to the emperor. His majesty was half lying, half sitting, leaning on his right arm. Thinking he was merely wounded heavily, I tried to lift him, but the Tsar's legs were shattered and the blood poured out of them. God. Twenty people with wounds of varying degree lay on the sidewalk and on the street. Some managed to stand, others to crawl, still others tried to get out from beneath bodies that had fallen on them. Through the snow, debris and blood, you could see fragments of clothing, epaulets, sabres and bloody chunks of human flesh. Right. Now, there was actually a third bomber in the crowd uh, who had a briefcase bomb that he was going to use if the other two had failed. So they came prepared, these guys. Right. Um, And Alexander bled to death. Yeah. So just like you were saying, so someone is going to take advantage of this, um, but it's probably a natural feeling or a national feeling. Uh, yeah, blame the Jews, and I guess a whole bunch of Jews are going to be killed after this, and um, you're probably going to give numbers. But before you get too mad at the Russians who are anti-Semitic, just keep in mind that um, I think it was England kicked out the Jews in 1290, Spain kicked them out in 1492, Austria did it a couple of centuries after that. So truly what is needed as far as the Zionists are concerned is a new... Jew. They have to first fight the old ideas of Judaism and then they can take on the world. But they're like, we have to remake ourselves. We have to be reborn because we have to fight back or this will keep happening. By the way, uh, the bomber who succeeded in killing the Tsar, Ignacy Hernavecki, died in the explosion and he is remembered as the first suicide bomber. Wow. God. I guess that's yeah. being known for something. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the night before his assassination, uh, before the sorry, the assassination attempt, the night before his death, right. um, he wrote uh, sort of a suicide note, a letter for posterity mm-hmm. that said, Alexander II must die. He will die, and with him 
we, his enemies, his executioners shall die too. How many more sacrifices will our unhappy country ask of its sons before it is liberated? It is my lot to die young. I shall not see our victory. I shall not live one day, one hour in the bright season of our triumph. But I believe that with my death, I shall do all that it is my duty to do. And no one in the world can demand more of me. Yeah, well, like you said, you push people far enough, then they're willing to risk or 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 for certain lose everything. Hopefully their kids or whoever has a better tomorrow. Do you know what uh, his, the, the assassin's uh, pseudonym was? You know, like Lenin and Stalin Ooh, and Trotsky were um, pseudonyms. Do you know what his pseudonym was? Bami. No, what was it? <laughs> Kotik, Russian for kitten. Oh, well, he's like, come on, can't I have Man of Steel? Sorry, <laughs> Sorry someone's uh, uh, someone's already yeah, taken that one. Yeah. Look, here's the book of, of possible pseudonyms <laughs> who's that are available. Who? Exactly. Yeah, everything's gone. Everything's gone. The only thing left is kitten. Well, that's not very. It's not very scary. Well, maybe, it's either that or pu- pussy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you can give you me know, that one. Which, yeah, maybe. Yeah, if, you could be pussy. If you said kitten, like you know, like Batman would say it. Kitten. I I don't know. That's the best I can do. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. <laughs> um, so anyway, there you go. That's That was the death of... Uh, and pogrom, by the way, uh, we talk about Russian right. pogroms. Pogrom is just a Russian word. It just means basically to to uh, to destroy, to, to wreak havoc, to harm. It's all pogrom yeah. means. It's not uh, nothing specifically about fucking up the Jews. It's just uh, to, to right. an act of violence. You can do that. So anyway, uh, yes, they blame the Jews as they always did when anything bad happened, and a wave of pogroms swept the empire, particularly in the Ukraine. Mobs were pillaging and destroying Jewish neighbourhoods, beating, raping, yes. killing. It was... Uh, Good times in Russia. Everyone was uh, just getting it out. It was a purge. Right. Purge. Jeez. And then Mm. uh, in 1882, there was the cold pogrom. Before we had a cold war, the Russians had a cold pogrom, Mm. basically where the Russian government alleged that the riots against the Jews from 1881 were the product of the exploitation of the Russian masses by the Jews. Their fault. And the Jews should therefore be punished. So they they uh, put into place a series of decrees in 1882 called the May Laws, which basically you know, prevented the Jews from being able to do a lot of shit. So they're like, yeah, yeah. It's, well, listen, we did. Yes, we did beat, <laughs> rape, kill, right. destroy Thousands. your stuff. Yeah. But... Let's be honest, you, you brought it upon yourself you by me. being so successful. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. As, listen, yeah. as, as uh, FDR <laughs> will say 50 years from now, you brought it upon yourself. So, uh, so sucks to be you. Stop, stop being so fucking Jewy. That's all, <laughs> all we have to say. As, as good Christians, uh, all we have to say right. is just stop being so Jewy. Don't stop bringing it on yourself. With the Russians, um, I have to ask because obviously you've been up and down. Uh, it came out wrong. You've been throughout the Bible, getting ready for your documentary. And the one thing I found interesting about the Zionism was that it was understood that they were going to go back to the land they were kicked out of two thousand years ago. They were going to go back to Palestine because there were conversations, and some of them very serious conversations, about making a, a homeland somewhere else, like in Argentina, East Africa. I think it was. Uganda, I think. And there were some people who had some serious money who were willing to uh, start these programs. But Zionism, as far as I can tell, was it was just always assumed we're going to go back to um, to, uh, to to Palestine because they would say things like the Passover meal would end with the words, you know, next year in Jerusalem. For, you know, they had been doing that for a long time. It was never next year in Argentina, that kind of thing. And when they had sermons and when they would do their prayers, and I don't know anything about what it means to be Jew, when they would have their prayers, they would face no matter where they are in the world, Palestine. So even though there's conversations about other places because they're getting so desperate because of all these pogroms, the idea is still to go to Palestine just because that's where they were kicked out of low these many years ago. And some of these Zionists were absolutely determined, even though they in some ways had options to maybe 
go somewhere else. I just found that fascinating. It's like, damned if you do and damned if you don't, we're being killed. But I want to go back to the one place that's going to be hardest for us to go. Yeah, well, I mean, God uh, in the Old Testament had promised them the land of Israel Uh, when they, you know, got out of Egypt. He was like, listen, you know, there's this uh, land. Uh, You can have it. Right. You're going to have to commit acts of genocide uh, to take it. (laughs) Right. But uh, don't worry, I got you. I got you back. Um, I got you back. Um, Not for long. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm fickle. I'm a fickle guy. You're going to find out. I'll help you get it, but you got to defend it. I mean, if you can't defend it, fuck it. That's that's on you. Yeah, they believe God had promised it to them, and you know, for you know, all of your generations and the generations of your generations and the seed of your seed right. and the blood of your blood and whatever shall be yours. So they kind of felt like, well, you know, God promised it to us and, hey, he's God. All right, he may not have helped us he, keep it. He's slow. But he did promise right. it to us. But he's just been distracted for a few thousand years. Mm, he'll be back. Okay. When he comes back, if we're not there, he's going to think uh, <laughs> we're pussies. We can't have that. We can't. So yes, they uh, not all of them, not all of the Zionists, as we'll see, really gave a shit about Israel, but some did. Enough did that it right. became sort of um, a sticking point. Well, I just have to say real quick because I know later on we're probably going to talk about the the um, Zionist conferences, but I'm going to leave that alone for a second. There were other co- conferences before that in the mid 1880s, and people and because these were different conferences with people with different agendas, like you were just saying a second ago, the outcomes of these conferences were all over the place. Some of them were saying we should go back to Palestine. Some were saying we shouldn't go to Palestine. Some were saying we should go somewhere else. Some were saying we shouldn't go anywhere. We shouldn't try and be a nation because what we are is we're a religious community. We're not a nation. We don't need a home of our own. So these people in some percentage of them were all over the place. And so these are some of the people that the Zionists are going to have to do battle with and convince if they're, if they're to move forward. Yeah. And, and as we'll see, as I just said, not all of the Zionists thought they necessarily mm-hmm. needed to go to Israel uh, because some of the Zionists weren't really that religious about it. Ah. They, they, they didn't have a religious perspective on Zionism. It was more like a just let's stop getting our asses kicked yeah, please. view of it. We don't care. Right. Let's just go somewhere so- where we're not going to get mass murdered every <laughs> right. 20 years. You know? Jeez. So I'm, you know, I want to talk about some of the founding fathers of Zionism, like late 19th century Zionism anyway. Okay. Um, in the wake of these Russian pogroms in 1881 and two, a uh, Russian Jewish doctor called Leo Pinska, mm-hmm. wrote a book called Auto-Emancipation, A Warning to His Kinsfolk by a Russian Jew, mm. published anonymously in German in 1882. Right. Now, in this book, he called for a mass exodus of Jews. It's time for us to get the fuck out of all of these places. Right. But he didn't suggest going to Palestine. He suggested going to America. Huh. Maybe he knew something we didn't because they're not all going. Well, he, yeah, look, he just said, uh, look, a lot of anti-Semites in America too, but uh, they don't tend to just round us all up and shoot (laughs) us every 20 years. So uh, let's let's go there. It's probably the safest place for us to go. Let's go there. Clear thinking. Okay. So I want to make the point here that, as I said before, not all Zionists... Uh, thought they needed to go to Israel. They may have thought, well, look, we'll get there eventually. But right now, we need to go a place where our children will be safe. Yeah. Uh, that is not it. Um, you know, it's not safe to go and just dump ourselves down in the middle of the Ottoman Empire. Right. Now, uh, when Italy and Germany, as I mentioned, I think, in the last episode, sort of brought their various states together to form single nations in the 19th century... Mm-hmm. There was sort of this this movement towards nationalism kicked off in large part by the French Revolution and right. Napoleon and, you know, when he started to pull a lot of these places together, people started thinking, hmm, yeah, a single nation, yeah, that, that makes a lot of idea. Bigger armies. Right. Uh, bigger bigger, bigger economic footprints. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, it's a good idea. And this also got some Jewish intellectuals in the middle of the 19th century thinking about how do right. what do we do? How do yeah. we pull ourselves together into a single 
people. Um, you know, we're spread out in the diaspora all over the place. Mm-hmm. What would we do to create a single place where we could defend ourselves? One of these guys was Moses Hess. Right. He was a French Jewish philosopher. In 1862, he wrote a book called Rome and Jerusalem. Now, interesting thing I learned about Moses Hess, mm-hmm. he was a communist. Yes. He was a friend of Karl Marx. Nice. And he actually introduced Friedrich Engels to communism oh, and to Karl Marx. Damn. That's what he should be known for. Yeah. That's but he Yeah. He had a falling out with Marx and Engels. Uh why, Ray? Uh that I don't know. I don't know. He had a falling out after Engels slept with his wife. Uh, <laughs> Come on. Allegedly. Allegedly. Right. Allegedly, Engels was accompanying Hess's Catholic wife from Belgium to France so she could be reunited with her Aww, husband. that's sweet. And they may, they may have uh, slept together. Made the beast oh. with two backs. On the, was- on, on the trip. <laughs> well, trains are sexy. Uh, I, I don't know if they took a train, yeah. but sex train. Yeah. Forget sex boat. So Sex train. So he introduced Engels to communism. Engels then banged his wife. and <laughs> That's uh, fair. That's that, fair. That was it. He had a falling out. Now, yeah. Hess is considered one of the fathers of Zionism and the idea of the return of the Jewish people to Palestine. Unlike... Marx, who saw history as the struggle between the classes, Hess saw it as a struggle between the races. Right. And he saw the the Jewish people as a single race. Now, whether or not the Jewish people are a single race is itself a much debated point. Um, There's been a lot of DNA studies done on modern Jewish people. Mm. They all tend to have some ancient Semitic blood, but obviously when they've been living in Europe for 2,000 years yeah. or Africa or right. places like that, they have, they have a lot of blood from a lot of people. From uh, uh, yeah, their, their bloodlines are very, very intermingled, way, way more uh, European and non-Jewish uh, DNA than yeah. Jewish DNA, don't tell ancient Jewish DNA. Right, yeah. <laughs> but which makes the whole thing even more fascinating. So they're not even a single race, really. Right. I right. mean, somebody who's got 10% uh, Middle Eastern blood in them going back is no more Jewish racially. Uh, they may be culturally or religiously, but racially, then I am Viking. I've got 10% Viking blood (laughs) or gypsy blood I actually have in my 23andMe. That explains I don't go around saying, I'm a Viking, Uh, get out of my way, or I'll I'll summon summon Molnar. (laughs) You know, it's... You should try that, yeah. Yeah, I I have. Trust me, it doesn't work. No. I think you need at least 12%. Viking that's blood a, in order to be able to summon scientifically Molnar correct. and lightning. Yeah. So mm. in his book, and I'm not trying to, to steal your flow or anything, but in his book, Roman Jerusalem, you know, he argues that, look, Europe is never really going to fully be welcoming to us. We're always going to be strangers of whatever nation. No, the Jews, like you were saying, need to return to Palestine. It's it's the ancestral home that we've been dreaming of for millennia. So, um, so yeah, he's one of these people that pushes it. And one of the guys we're going to talk about in a minute, Theodore Herzl, would later read this book, and he would say, everything we tried is already in his book, which basically means Zionism is a twice-born movement. Uh, so again, a lot of these ideas are going to overlap, but it's going to be several prominent figures that are going to be known for either great writers or they're going to write poems or books or whatever, but they're going to push this argument to the fore and they're going to be very passionate about trying to bring as many people on board as possible. I got it. Yeah, but... Uh, Go ahead, sorry. I just want to make the point before you move on from Hess. Yeah. Um, no one took Hess seriously. No one right. really took his book seriously. Right. Um, they didn't take the idea of moving to Palestine seriously. He died in Paris in 1875. Even he didn't go to Palestine. He was like, wow, yeah, look, not me. Know, it's an idea. No. Right. <laughs> For other but, people. 
Like, yeah. have, you, have you tried to get a good uh, brie uh, French roll in Jerusalem? Can't be done. Like, fuck, Can't no, I'm yeah. staying in Paris, thank you very much. But yes, one day. <laughs> but going back to his wife, this is why that story that you just told about Ingalls is even more bitter than you would suppose, because he was raised by his rabbi grandfather. He becomes a socialist. He moves away from the Jewish faith. He marries this working class Catholic woman, really just trying to move away. And then she ends up banging Ingalls, who is one of the fathers of communism. So that's got to sting. That's all I'm saying. You know, he, he, he thought he found a woman who could, he could live with for the rest of his life, who shared his idea and was helping him move away from the faith that he was leaving behind from his grandfather. And she banged somebody else. Oh, well. Oh, well. It's just sad. You, you, yeah, you can relate. Um, <laughs> now, another early proponent of Zionism, as you said, the oh. next guy like uh, to come along, really, is Theodore Herzl. Yeah. Now, Herzl was an uh, Austro-Hungarian Jew, mm-hmm. a journalist. What really pushed him over the edge in terms of Zionism was the Dreyfus Affair. Right. Now, this took place in France in 1894. Alfred Dreyfus, mm. who's a French-Jewish officer in the French army, was convicted of treason, mm-hmm. uh, wrongfully, right. as it turns out, Bullshit. and confined confined to Devil's Island. Yes. Uh, now, Devil's Island, Ray, is, uh, I don't know if you know this, is where deviled eggs come from. I should. I feel like I should have known that. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. that's all. That's where they're growing. Devil's <laughs> eggs are growing on Devil's Island. It's all you can eat there. It's just eggs. That's <gasps> why it was a prison. Right. Uh, Did you see the movie after the uh, the de- deviled the, egg movie about the, the invention the of Dreyfus Devil's affair? Eggs? No. The Dreyfus affair. Uh, no, I haven't oh, seen the movie. It is good. It is good. It's obviously it's it's very old by now, but I think you'll still enjoy it. Anyway, I don't want to ruin it for you, but yeah, I, I think they did a good job. But yeah, the evidence against him was practically non-existent. Which which film are you talking about? Um, it's uh, got R- Richard Dreyfuss in it. Um, it's got uh, Brian Blessed. Wow. Um, wow. Fuck. Is uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus in it? Uh, I wish. They just, they just get every every actor <laughs> Dreyfus as a surname. and <laughs> That, that would make sense, it. actually. No, I don't believe. I don't think she could pull off a French accent, but I don't think they tried to do French accent, so she should have been in it. She's actually distantly related uh, to uh, Alfred Dreyfus. Wow. <clears throat> Apparently. Cool. Mm. Yeah, so uh, anyway, he gets thrown on Devil's Island. It... it, it Triggers a wave of anti-Semitism in France in the late eighteenth, uh, sorry, late nineteenth century, and Herzl, uh, who apparently thought of himself as the Messiah, oh God, because that's always that's always been a good <laughs> career move, uh, formed the Zionist organization in eighteen ninety seven and started promoting this idea that the Jews should immigrate to Palestine and form a Jewish state. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, Herzl died before this all happened. But he is known as the father of the state of Israel. He wrote a, a novel, uh, Altnuland, mm-hmm. where he basically described the creation of the Jewish state and what it would be like. Right. And in this novel, it, it it's sort of based the the Jewish state is based on the principles of Tolerance. It has the three Yahvean faiths all there living together, the right. Christians, the Jews, and the Muslims, all living together in peace, peace and, harmony and harmony and brotherhood. Right. Group hug. As you know. Yeah. 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 Uh, total, a total utopia. Everyone giving each other reach arounds, <laughs> um, sharing each other's wives is beautiful. Lovely. Right. Everyone's but- happy. <laughs> Unlike Moses Hess, <laughs> wasn't didn't like sharing his wife. Touchy. With a Touchy. German atheist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in this novel, everyone was happy to share everything. Yeah. Uh, in, in his book, uh, he wrote, the Jewish state is conceived as a neutral one. 
In fact, he, he didn't really see it as a, a Jewish state, just a place where Jews right. and others could live in peace and harmony without anti-Semitism. He wrote, The promised land where it is all right for us to have hooked noses, black or red beards and bandy legs without being despised for these things alone, where at last we can live as free people on our own and die in peace in our own homeland, where we too can expect honour as a reward for great deeds, where we shall live at peace with all the world, which we shall have freed through our own freedom, enriched by our wealth and made greater by our greatness. Nice. And if I remember correctly, unlike Hess, this book was very popular. It made him a superstar. And it, even though these people had never been to Palestine before, as far as I could tell, it stirred a lot of hearts. And it kind of rekindled that that idea, that, that passion of returning home. So, again, it's in a novel form. It's very picturesque in that way. And, and it was very emotive. And it had a big impact on those that read it. Yeah, very popular uh, in yeah. its day and uh, really started to build the dream. But again, the, the important thing to understand is uh, it didn't really depict this homeland uh, or this, this Jewish state as being Jewish in terms exactly. of religious exactly. qualities yeah. uh, or uh, for Jews alone in terms of a, a race-based society. It was just a place where they could participate in government and, along with everyone else, where they could be treated with respect and, and safe. But it wasn't a, a Jewish state where, you know, it wasn't a Jewish theocracy and it wasn't about Judaism. It was about just a place where they could live um, in peace and harmony. And if I may, he also thought that, and again, this is a, an issue that's going to come up later on, there's a difference between a Jewish state an estate for Jews, as we're going to see that, um, and that's going to come up later on this. But this this is a guy who obviously um, was very passionate about this. Um, he had this idea that if there was a Jewish state or a state for Jews, to his way of thinking, it would reduce anti-Semitism because a lot of Jews would go there. They would be less out in the in the world. Uh, they would finally have their home and maybe people wouldn't pick on them so much for being a, a homeless group of people. So he really thought this might be something that could take care of a lot of society's ills. But there are, there are going to be others that go, well, they don't just hate us because of religion. They don't just hate us because of our success. They hate us as people. And I think uh, maybe um, uh, Herzl was forgetting that. So he it's not that it was a pie in the sky, but he was really hoping the best for this if they could uh, if they could make it happen. And like you said, this book is very popular. It becomes this overnight sensation. In fact, someone goes up to him and says, now that you've got the success, you need to do something with it. You need to create the first Zionist Congress. And Herzl gets all passionate about it. And that's exactly what he does. So they go from not doing anything except for maybe passively, aggressively bitching about their lives for 2,000 years to actually holding a Congress or conference. And, and so, again, that's a pretty big deal uh, for trying to make this uh, trying to make this move to Palestine a reality. Before we move on from yeah. his book, I wanted to point out that in the book, uh, the, the, his vision of how they were going to pull it all together is that the uh, Ottomans would give them a concession to build a new society Fuck. there. They would they would buy the land from its private owners. Right. It would be established in, in peace and harmony. No one would complain. Um, the Palestinians that were living there would be more than happy to oh, have the yeah. Jews come in. They were like, it's fucking great. The <laughs> Jews are moving in. This is awesome. Um, it... it, it, it the society would be multilingual. Everyone oh. would be speaking Ger a combination of German, Hebrew, and right. Yiddish. Utopia. Uh, it would be like a European modern city. People would be going to the opera, going to the theatre. And uh, when the book came out, it was immediately translated into Hebrew. He wrote it in German. Right. Um, it was translated into Hebrew, and the name given to the Hebrew version was... Uh, Tel Aviv. Tel means ancient mound um, or old, mm -hmm. and Aviv means spring or new. So uh, it was. That's where the Tel Aviv comes from. The title of this book, which is now the capital 
until Trump's finished um, <laughs> turning Jerusalem into the capital of Israel. Tel Aviv is the capital of Jeez. Israel, named after the title of this book. Right. Well, the Hebrew translation um, yeah. of the book, The New Society. Um, so, yes, Herzl then goes on to create the Zionist organization. But I want to point out that apparently, mm-hmm. even though he wrote this book and he talked about Palestine, Herzl wasn't convinced that the future Jewish settlement had to be in Palestine. Right. Um, it could have also have been Argentina. Uh, they just needed land. Yeah. He wasn't completely wedded, I think, to the idea of Palestine. Right. Um, but, and in his book, uh, he doesn't mention anything about how the locals would react or yeah. feel about this, apart from the fact that, you know, hey, Jews are good. <laughs> Jews are going to build the economy. Everyone's right. going to be happy. Don't worry about it. In his diary, though, mm-hmm. he wrote about voluntary expropriation. Basically talking about how secret agents would have to go in, uh, not Jews, secret agents would go in and have to buy up the land, be willing to pay high prices for the land in order to buy it. Mm -hmm. Anyone who refused to sell their land would be convinced to leave by offering them well-paying jobs in neighbouring countries or deliberately creating temporary unemployment in this new Israel that would drive the uh, people out. Yeah. Um, and then they would secretly take it over. So you'd have secret agents go in, buy it up, and then those secret agents would sell it to the Jews. Right. Now, in 1903, mm-hmm. the British colonial secretary, Joseph Chamberlain... Right. ...suggested to Herzl that instead of going to Palestine or Argentina, they should go to Uganda, as you mentioned before. Right. They were like, listen, you know, uh, no one lives in Uganda. Yeah. The the, the, the Ugandans went, what about us? (laughs) Hello. Well. Yeah, I don't know Ugandan. Sorry. Shut up. Yeah, we we don't understand you. Can't hear you. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Now... Yes, uh, Joseph Chamberlain, by the way, uh, was you know opposed home rule for Ireland. Um, right, he was a was a very imperialist conservative. Um, split the British major parties twice during his career. Um, Munich, you know, int- yeah. interesting character. Right, Joseph uh, wrote wrote uh, a lot of books including uh, Mr. Chamberlain's defence of the British troops in South Africa against the foreign slanders. Oh, my God. Classic. <laughs> Love that one. It's a why, good one. Why the Slaves uh, Should Be Happy. I think that was his next uh, yeah. book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> White is all right. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So he suggested Uganda. Now, apparently, Herzl didn't mind this idea. Herzl goes Uganda. Yeah, yeah. okay. Like Tarzan. Sure, why not? I yeah. Mean, yeah, you know, it might be a temporary thing, but we could go and we could go and live there for a while. Check it I out. Mean, it's, it's a thing. Test it's, drive it's it. A, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, he took that idea to the next Zionist Congress, and people weren't happy. It led to nearly led to a split in Ooh. the Zionist movement. Right. Uh, some people were like, "Sure, let's do that. That sounds great." Uh, you know, sure, it's it's not our ancestral homeland from two thousand and year two thousand years ago, but it's good enough. Is it? Uh, yeah. Okay. Why not? Yeah, we we could we could do that. The British guarantee our safety there, um, because the you know British were basically running it at the time, right? About the lions. Uh, the Imperial British East Africa Company, right? Was uh, sending people there in charge, laborers, yeah, building building lines and doing stuff, mining mm. shit out of the ground, right? Um, uh, I think cotton ginning was going on in Uganda, all that kind of stuff. Mm. 
So anyway, uh, yes, it nearly caused a split in the Zionist Congress. Uh, some of the people were like, that's fine, Uganda, thanks, we'll take it, thank you very much. Right. At least we can have it now. Uh, yeah. But, they, but the, the others wanted to hold out Shut for Pal- Palestine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, of course, Palestine at the time was controlled by the Ottomans. Jews hadn't lived in Palestine in, any, in large numbers for nearly 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. And as he said in the last episode, to suggest that they had any real claim over the land is ridiculous and unheard of. Just because your imaginary God promised it to <laughs> your imaginary founders right. thousands of years ago, because mm, uh, yeah. you know, historians today don't really think Moses or Abraham or... no. Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat <laughs> are historical people. Really? Uh, and even if they were, historians don't believe the that basis of it. God spoke to them. So right. your, your, your religious beliefs don't entitle you to a country. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry to break this to you. <laughs> Just because you Neither does the fact... Yeah. Does your, that your people lived there thousands of years ago mean that you have any right to it? The Israeli historian Shlomo Sand, mm-hmm. in his book The Invention of the Land of Israel, writes, Would anyone today consider encouraging an Arab demand to settle in the Iberian Peninsula to establish a Muslim state there simply because their ancestors were expelled from the region during the Reconquista? That's right. Why should the descendants of the Puritans, who were forced to leave England centuries ago, not attempt to return en masse to the land of their forefathers in order to establish the heavenly kingdom? Would any sane person support Native American demands to assume territorial possession of Manhattan and to expel its white, black, Asian and Latino inhabitants? Right. Because one-fourth of me wants South Carolina back, sons of bitches. I'm (sighs) one-fourth Cherokee. (laughs) Cherokee's getting angry. (laughs) Uh, Let me continue. And somewhat more recently, are we obligated to assist the Serbs in returning to Kosovo and reasserting control over the region because of the sacred heroic battle of 1389 or because Orthodox Christians who spoke a Serbian dialect constituted a decisive majority of the local population a mere 200 years ago? In this spirit, we can easily imagine a march of folly initiated by the assertion and recognition of countless ancient rites, sending us back into the depths of history and sowing general chaos. Right. So what's a good guideline? Like no one's... The indigenous Australians uh, lived on this land for 60,000, 70,000 years. <laughs> yeah, you need to move. If they make a claim to Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Canberra, Perth, Adelaide, or any other major uh, white population area, populated area, we're not taking them seriously here. Uh, So why do the Jews get this right and uh, these other people don't? I mean, the, the Australian Aboriginals, the Indigenous Australians, were subjected to tantamount genocide by the European invaders of this country, surely that gives them as much right as the Jews. Yeah. Uh, why do the Jews get uh, a land to themselves uh, when the rest of these people don't get to go back to their ancestral homelands? Right. Well, I mean, it's one of those tricky things. So not only do you have religion mixed in, but it's become this self-professed, self-proclaimed thing that's owed to you that's going on for 2000 years and it's and it's become a part of your culture you know there's phrases in their in their uh in their rituals that says you know next year in, in Palestine so I, I mean obviously that you make a very valid point they don't really have a right to it but i think when it's packaged together it's it's semi understandable but then when you throw on the the holocaust they get a free pass. What do you want? We'll give you anything you want. Oh, you want to go back? Okay, we'll make that happen. But no, you're absolutely right. Again, that's Hold probably on. going to piss people off. Yeah. Hold on. The, they, they, the Balfour Declaration was issued 19th. decades right before, before the, the Holocaust. Holocaust. I see. Yeah, no, I was being in general. But yeah, there's absolutely... Well, we know why. 
we're, we're, we're going to go into this. Into but what? so yes, the British weren't being nice, and they weren't being um, they weren't being caring about the Jews. It was self serving. But the point is, for the Jews to think that they get oh this, yeah, they're completely wrong, and you're going to piss off so many people because that is that is just ingrained in so many mentalities that when you, you can easily piss people off by saying you have absolutely no right to that territory. It's just accepted. Mm. Well, no, it's not accepted. The uh, Arabs don't accept it. Um, right. You know, yeah. that's part of the problem. <laughs> it's not right. accepted. The Arabs have been <laughs> saying, we don't accept this for yeah. 100 years we're, now. We're poor. If anyone goes, ah, uh, you know, we're shut dirty, up, you Arabs. We but we're care. here. Don't care what you think. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's a good point. So, but the point, the point I wanted to make through all of this yeah. um, is that not all Zionists apparently felt like they needed to go back to Palestine. Some did. Right. Some didn't care. They just wanted a land of yeah. their own. They didn't really care where it was, just give us a land where we can be safe. And, right. I mean, everyone gets that. But then again, what about the Native Americans? What yeah. about the Indigenous Australians? What about all these other people that have been pushed off their land and oppressed and uh, for, for centuries? Yeah. Uh, we don't give them the same level of uh, permission to create a land for themselves where they can live in self-rule. Yeah, you know, if the Indigenous Australians said, hey, listen, just give us Queensland. We want Queensland, mm-hmm. our own government. Call it even. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, no one's going to listen. And they, that, the, I mean, they, this is their land of their religion. Their religion believes that this land, they don't believe they wasn't given to them by a god, but through their ancestors and their animal uh, kinship and worship, they've been protectors of this land for... Right. A lot longer than the Jews were in Israel, right. uh, according to if you believe the Old Testament's timeline, which obviously no sane person does, but if you'd even <laughs> took that as some sort of a General. legitimate timeline right. yeah. and, and looking at the archaeological evidence, they probably moved from Iraq uh, to that part of the world, the, towards the coast, Probably around, let's say, a thousand BCE. So they mm-hmm. were, you know, they were there for a thousand years. Yeah. Okay. Indigenous Australians have been here for sixty, seventy thousand years, yeah. sixty or seventy times as long. They went. We don't, and and had a religious connection to the land. We don't give them any fucking permission to do shit. That's just the nature of, of geopolitics. That's just the way it is. You lose. You well, it's on. the nature of a lot of things. Right. We'll, we'll right, get right, we'll right. get into we'll get into the Jewish question in probably the next episode. But I want to talk about one of Herzl's contemporaries, a guy by the name of Asher V. Hirsch Ginsburg, mm-hmm. but better known as Ahad Hayam. Okay. He was born in the Ukraine, but he is known as the founder of cultural Zionism, cultural Zionism. Mm. He wanted to build a Jewish state and not merely a state of Jews, as you said earlier. He wanted to build a spiritual center for Judaism, not just a place of refuge, not just a place where they can be safe, but a state built around Judaism. And he actually, unlike some of these other early (laughs) Zionists, he actually visited (laughs) Palestine. He got up. For the first time in 1891. Right. Yes. Made the trip. Now, what's fascinating are his reports from that trip. Uh, yeah. He actually got there and was like, oh, shit. Uh, don't know if this is such a good idea. Sounded good on paper. <laughs> but now that I'm actually here. <laughs> and I'm looking around. I'm starting to think, starting looking, to think looking, we may have been looking. led astray. Yeah. You know yeah. those guys who wrote all those books about how great it was going to be when we got here, but they actually had never been here? Uh, <laughs> I've yeah. actually come and I'm like, eh, eh maybe not. <laughs> he, he, wrote, he wrote letters back to friends basically um, <clears throat> uh, reporting hunger, Arab dissatisfaction and unrest, unemployment, people leaving Palestine, like some of the early... Jews that went right. there after the Russian pogroms fuck leaving, this. going, fuck this right. shit, we're out of here. You know, we're going to America, man. Okay, you know, Truman right. may be an anti-Semite, but uh, at least they have running water. 
uh, and bagels. We're going to go get some bagels. Oh, a good bagel. Uh, a schmear. Oh, yeah. Mozzarella. Oh, that's good. Mozzarella? You put mozzarella uh, in your bagels? No. What is no, wrong with uh, you? A schmear of cream cheese. Never mind. A little bit of smoked salmon. Oh, chives. Oh, Fucking, there's a great Jewish quarter of uh, Melbourne. A lot of Jews in Melbourne. Well, not a lot, but oh, really? enough okay. to have a Jewish quarter. Yeah, I used to get into the Jewish quarter and, and lots of Jewish delis and that kind of stuff in the markets and whatever. Probably took you to at least one Jewish deli when you came to the uh, Vic markets with me. Um, but yeah, I used, to, I used to go to the Jewish quarter of Melbourne all the time. And, and the bakeries down in St Kilda. I think I'll take you down to St Kilda. I think we did go down to St Kilda, didn't we, there? No, maybe it's a pleasant kind of... blur. You would bite in, yeah, like you'd bite into something and say that life. that thing was good enough for uh, for Jehovah. Yeah, <laughs> that was so good. It was good anyway. For Jehovah, I want to uh, maybe wrap up this episode by reading some quotes from Ahad um, Chayam. He wrote uh, this right. after his first trip to Palestine. We who live abroad are accustomed to believe that almost all of Eretz Israel is now uninhabited desert and whoever wishes can right. buy land there as he pleases. But this is not true. It is very difficult to find in the land cultivated fields that are not used for planting. Only those sand fields or stone mountains that would require the investment of hard labour and great expense to make them good for planting remain uncultivated, and that's because the Arabs do not like working too much in the present for a distant future. Therefore, it is very difficult to find good land for cattle. And not only peasants, but also rich landowners are not selling good land so easily. We who live abroad are accustomed to believing that the Arabs are all wild desert people who, like donkeys, neither see nor understand what is happening around them. But this is a grave mistake. The Arab, like all the Semites, is sharp-minded and shrewd. All the townships of Syria and Eretz Israel are full of Arab merchants who know how to exploit the masses and keep track of everyone with whom they deal. The same as in Europe. The Arabs, especially the urban elite, see and understand what we are doing and what we wish to do on the land, but they keep quiet and pretend not to notice anything. For now, they do not consider our actions as presenting a future danger to them. But if the time comes that our people's life in Eretz Israel will develop to a point where we are taking their place, either slightly or significantly, the natives are not going to just step aside so easily." Wow. That, I mean, I guess he's serving his people by being honest with them as opposed to being a part of the propaganda that says, yeah, come on, it's going to be easy. The land's empty. It's just waiting for you. You can get some land for a song and start your cattle or your farming. I mean, he still wants them to come. From what I gather, he's just telling them how it really is there. And they need to be careful. You know, this, and I still, in some of the debates I've had with Israeli listeners over the years, I still have this problem of, they have this perception of terra nullis, uh, the same that the the British invaders did when they came to Australia in the late eighteen mm-hmm. hundreds. This idea that there's no there's no one on the land. It's 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 empty. It's grand right. for the ta- it's there for the taking. And you go well. What about the people that are on? And they go well. They're not they're not real people. Right. They don't right? count. And, or one argument I've I've heard from Israelis in the past is. Well, they hadn't done anything to develop the land. So right. if you don't develop the land, you don't really own standards. the land. Exactly. exactly. Yes, yes. Yeah. If you're not really building factories yeah. on it, you don't really own on. the land. You're just right. living on the land. You don't really mm-hmm. belong to the land. Where's your hooters? Um, Come on. Which of which, of course, is an incredibly racist statement in and of itself. It's saying that <laughs> yes. if you don't... Yes. If you don't meet my standards of what a real person is or is real or, or real ownership of the land is, then your perspective doesn't count. It doesn't matter how many thousands of years you've been doing it. Fuck yeah. you. You you know, you, you either accept my view nothing. or Right. Exactly. Yeah. But here you know, he was warning the Israelis as early as eighteen ninety one that look, this place is full of people. 
and they don't <laughs> like the idea of us coming here and taking it. And they're not going to yeah. sit still and let us do it. Be warned. He urged. He also urged the Jews not to provoke the anger of the native people by doing them wrong. We should be cautious in our dealings with the foreign people among whom we return to live to handle these people with love and respect and, needless to say, with justice and good judgment. And mm. what do our brothers do? Exactly the opposite. They were slaves in their diaspora, and suddenly they find themselves with unlimited freedom, wild freedom that only a country like Turkey can offer. This sudden change has planted despotic tendencies in their hearts, as always happens to former slaves. They deal with the Arabs with hostility and cruelty, trespass unjustly, beat them shamefully for no sufficient reason, and even boast about their actions. There is no one to stop the flood and put an end to this despicable and dangerous tendency. Our brothers indeed were right when they said that the Arab only respects he who exhibits bravery and courage. But when these people feel that their law is on their rival's side, and even more so if they are right to think their rival's actions are unjust and oppressive, then even if they are silent and endlessly reserved, they keep their anger in their hearts, and these people will be revengeful like no other. Fuck. Now, put that alongside what you said a couple of minutes ago about, I think it was Herzl's diary entry. We should hire third-party agents to buy the land. We should, if they don't want to sell, we should maybe create employment problems for them, or maybe we should intimidate them. I can't remember exactly what you said, but that's not exactly, I mean, that's realistic, but that's not exactly honorable like this guy is saying he's basically saying you know what we've been treated like shit let's try to do it better than the last guys yeah and again you know sort of the point here is that he was well i mean two things he's, he's pointing out that these people are there and they don't like it right. secondly he was pointing out that um the early jewish settlers to palestine were right. treating the locals terribly from the get-go. Right. Now, probably not all of them, uh, but enough of them for him to call it out. He doesn't right. say, what do uh, you know a, a minority of our brothers do? He says, and what do our brothers do? Exactly the opposite. So according to one of the fathers of Zionism, the earliest Jewish... Uh, immigrants, I'm going to call them immigrants, to Palestine, treated the locals right. uh, with hostility and cruelty, uh, trespassed unjustly, beat them shamefully for no sufficient reason, and then boasted about their actions. This is according to uh, Chayam's own accounts. He died in right. Tel Aviv in 1927. Theodore Herzl, by the way, died in uh, Hungary in 1904. Mm. So yeah. he didn't get to see any of this uh, play out. Actually, he was in... Uh, he didn't even live to see the rejection of the Uganda plan before he died. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But he got it going. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's enough for episode 134, Ray. Um I in 135, we will continue the discussion about uh, Zionism. Because she's a whore. <laughs> Damn it. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. I vote white myself. Bag up, bag up. Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. I'm one fourth Cherokee. I won a threesome with two NFL cheerleaders. Let, let me just say this real quick. I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, my beer. I am eligible, mentally retarded. <laughs> it's all relative. You're a complete monster, and I hope hell is real, and I hope you're there. I'm 
crying to my pillow in your head. To be a solid, not to mention a vagina. How am I going to talk my way out of dying today? Some women, I guess, are so evil that they deserve, they deserve to be strangled to death and thrown down the stairs. Not to mention her vagina. <laughs> oh my God. I know, that's why I'm embarrassed.